0: You need someone who can look at a business at a high level strategically and understand the moving parts and they understand customers, which is really most important, frankly, it's the customer journey and how a customer is first marketed to, sold to, and then actually is onboarded and delivered the product and how that Mm. experience works for them and how those three things will unify together to make the best customer outcome. Hey Warren, happy new year. Good to see you.
1: Thank you, you too. Hey, uh, Warren, let's get right into it. So tell us a little bit about your journey, your experience, and how has it shaped your approach to the CRO role?
0: Sure. First, thanks for having me. And I got a very interesting sort of niche that I stumbled onto about, is it, I guess it's like almost three or four years ago? How, how many years ago? It feels like about 40. It's, like it's, it's, it's four, four years ago. That's insane. It's five. Five years ago. That's, that's unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So 2019... I had just come off of a, a, a tour of duty working for a small tech startup in the UK and it didn't work. And some of the reasons it didn't work out were a bit confusing to me at the time, but based on the experience that I've had, which I'll go through a little bit, a lot of things came together for me at that time. And I realized that I stumbled upon a really interesting problem that is pervasive across all B2B companies. So a little background on I me. Mean, I started out selling when I was really young. I, I actually sold newspaper advertising when I was like 20 years old, door to door. And I sold my whole career, which when you're selling complex things, I never sold simple things. I sold, you know, consultations or consulting programs or complex technological solutions or technology consulting, but it's a different animal than selling like SaaS businesses or something. Mm -hmm. And it's not to knock that, it's just, it's different because the tight sales Mm -hmm. cycles are a lot longer. The sale is a lot more complicated. It's different for everybody you sell to. You're not selling a widget. You're selling a solution, which you have to understand the customer. And so I got in the weeds a lot. When you sell that sort of thing, I didn't know this at the time. I was just selling what was interesting to me is I I developed a lot of skills that uh, came with that aside from selling skills, complex selling skills and consulting skills, I also had to become good at the thing I sold because if you're selling something complicated, you have to be as able to articulate that thing as the engineer does because they're buying it from you. And you rarely, as a lot of people know, this is a problem, sales engineers, they're hard to come by because you're either really good at knowing how to build something or you're really good at knowing how to be able to talk about something and finding someone that can do both. It's not easy. So it's relying upon the salesperson to be both the sales engineer and the salesperson. So that being said, I started developing a real good acuity around that and I was selling marketing services. We were selling marketing consulting services. So that's another part of the story, which is important because I was selling marketing services, which made me also become very proficient at marketing because I had to sell it. So I knew now how to both sell and market. Okay. I would say even at some point there was a pro- pro- I was probably better at marketing than I was selling because I became a consultant. So what started to happen was I became, I moved away from the sale and actually became the product I was being hired to help marketing consultants and stuff like that. So now I got two parts of the wheel covered, right? I'm really good proficient at selling. I'm really good at marketing and we're all customers we're all customers of something right how much shit do you and i all own here right we buy how much do you we, right we're customers really weirdly everybody's a customer success expert because i'm being managed as a customer all the time i'm in a i'm in a process where i'm evaluating how do people treat me how do people respond i'm actually really obsessed with this particularly when it comes to products that i use on a regular basis how the company interacts with me i'll give you an example something that i became aware of, which seems innocuous, but it's a big thing about maybe five or six years ago is, I don't know how many different dashboards you guys use. There's a lot of dashboards. I log into this new thing every day, right? Some software thing, whether it's Monday or Asana or my FreshBooks or whatever it is. The pervasive thing I've noticed in the interface is that when you go in to log into that uh, particular software that you are a, a customer of, the sign up now button is huge and the login button is really tiny. So this is the way people build products today is they build them to be sales engines and not customer engines. Sometimes I can't even find the login button and I'm paying for the goddamn thing. To me, it's a real indicator of the way companies are dealing with customers today. They don't care about them. Is, is, is that I, I realized that, okay, so we've got a problem with sales. We've got problems with marketing and customer success. These are all issues. Why is it an issue? But it really came to fold when in 2015, I got a job. At a big holding company agency, being an executive there, I was a P&L holder of a big group and I had to build a product. I had to hire a team and I had to deploy this product into the marketplace with a big sizable budget and a big number on my back, which made me a buyer because now I had to go to technology companies because I needed their software as components of the product I was building. So now I'm being sold to by all these B2B companies and it was really wacky. I'd be in these rooms and these... Startups would come in with their teams and they would show me the PowerPoint presentations and they'd sell to me. And it was utterly crazy when I was watching how these guys sold and how they formulated their sales strategies and how the marketing decks were. Because now I'm a buyer. Now I have a budget. So I had a really big aha moment in this experience, which was marketing, sales, and customer success organizations essentially are three separate organizations. They're not even talking to each other at all. There's no relationship to have with each other. There's no evidence of that. My experience as a, as being as a prospective buyer was different than my experience as a customer and was different as a, someone that i'm marketing to what it occurred to me is that the problem is there's no one minding the store from a high level perspective it can't be the ceo it should be the chief revenue officer the chief revenue officer really should be the person who is responsible for integrating all three of these disparate functions, but they're not doing it. And the reason they're not doing it is because most CROs are being hired to were hired to run sales. And why is that? Why are CROs running sales organizations? What happened? How did this revenue focused business title become a sales function? And I started looking into this and I found out that it's a really big problem. And it originates a long time ago, like 10 years ago when a lot of money was flowing into the B2B space because of all the unicorns that were being produced by Silicon Valley. And sales became the sort of primary focus of all these companies because they didn't even care about customers at all. They just cared about acquisitions. That was how they grew. And so the CRO was the guy that came in to make sure that happened. And over time, companies became more complex than they were in 2000 or 2001 or 2002, and it doesn't work anymore. And companies can't scale the way that they expect to anymore. There's a lot more tailwinds, a lot more technologies, customers are a lot smarter the advent of social media came into the marketplace. And also there's a lot more money floating around. And so it occurred to me that A, the pervasive sort of congenital disease of B2B companies is revenue misalignment, which is like I said before, misalignment between these functions. And the problem is that they bring in a C-level executive to run sales who creates a bigger problem that makes it worse. And there needs to be a clearer or more, how would I say, precise definition of the term CRO, and there needs to be people in the marketplace who are trained to be CROs, and CEOs need to know how to hire and place and appoint and support a CRO, or else this is never gonna get fixed. So I started the CRO Collective, with the intent of trying to solve this problem through the lens of a chief revenue officer, whom I believe is the most important person in a B2B company because of the way in which this particular person, when properly hired and supported, will align a lot of very disparate and critically important pieces of the business, which are the three most customer-facing parts of the business, right? Sales, marketing, customer success. So that's how I got onto this idea. And as a result, I created a business where I helped do that across different ways. So I know it was a long answer, but it's basically the way to this kind of how I got here. This should be good because you got an ex CRA you who's know? gonna be like, Yes, I agree with
2: everything you said. And then you got next CEO, <laughs> he's like holy oh, shit. What are you talking about? The CEO is obviously the most important part. Look how pretty we are. We can't be the not most important person part in the business. Look I think that's th- there's a lot to unpack in, in in that. And I think we'll have very differing points of view, Richard, which will be interesting because we generally always seem aligned in these conversations. How do you find a person who has the capability of being able to link all three of those
0: functions together? Because okay. yeah, I, I, I I'm know not you're getting in. in that Here's the answer yeah. to that question. The, the misunderstanding about what I just said is that you have to find some unicorn that can do all three of those things. No, I don't think you're saying they have to
2: do them. You're looking at someone who's unifying them, right? You're not asking them to sure. actually do each of those functions.
0: Yeah. So for example, if I'm, a, if I'm a dog that knows how to herd sheep, I don't need to be a sheep. I just need to know how to herd, right? So if I'm really good at that, I could probably create uh organization out of chaos. So here's the, the skill set and you're not wrong in your general premises. You have to understand these things, but anybody who's going to get hired to be a chief revenue officer should come to the table with a letter level of leadership that they understand marketing and sales and customer success to the extent they know what they do and they know how they work, whether they've actually run them before, most people that go into CRO roles or salespeople right? or sales leaders, really good ones, like really good sales leaders that have run complex sales organizations. They deal with marketing every day. They may, granted, they may not run marketing, but they certainly know what marketing does. And they know the impact that marketing has on a sales organization. And if they give a crap at all about the customers they sell to, they want to make sure that those customers upsell. And many times sales leaders are also responsible for those upsells in some respect. They have that part of their quota. So they're looking at that too. And to me, that's sufficient enough of, a, of an understanding of those things. But the more important characteristic is not how they can align them. It's their ability to lead and create systems and processes and understand revenue and be good business partners, right? So a good CRO is probably somebody who's numbers driven, really understands how to drive profitability, drive efficiency, understands how to build coalitions and understands how data works across these three things and knows how to lead organizations toward a unified goal. And they should have Someone who's an expert in sales, an expert in marketing, an expert in customer success that reports into them, that knows how to run those disparate functions, right? That's the structure that should be happening here. Without that entity, without that CRO who's running things, Mm. you're going to have three leaders all vying for control or acknowledgement or trying to get more budget or recognition. And this is what happens. This is the problem is that there's no one in charge and the CEO can't do it after a while. They're too busy trying to like do the things that CEOs do. And so I see this, by the way, this is a conversation I'm like having every day, right? Oh, yeah. And so okay, it's a major problem. And so the characteristic of a CRO, to answer your question, is not someone whom necessarily has to be some proficient expert in all three of those things. That's a unicorn. You're probably not going to find them. Although I found a couple. You need someone whom can look at a business at a high level strategically and understand the moving parts and they understand customers, which is really most important, frankly, it's the customer journey and how a customer is first marketed to, sold to. And then actually is onboarded and delivered the product and how that mm. experience works for them and how those three things will unify together to make the best customer outcome and not the most sales but the, most, the best so then, outcome. look
2: to some extent is your CRO solving for the problem that you can't have three leaders that can work together if you get a good chief marketing officer a good chief customer officer and a good chief sales officer and they actually can build and form a proper relationship with each other and work as a unified executive team these still need your chief revenue officer,
0: no doubt. It doesn't happen often enough. It doesn't happen often well, enough. I'll, I'll, I'll agree with that. It definitely doesn't happen How many happen times often does it enough? happen? Like one out of a hundred? I don't see many companies that say that. And people throw that at me a lot. They're like, oh, what about this? My last company. Okay, good for you. It's like me saying that I once hit a billion dollars. Like I, I played, I was once in Las Vegas and I got the slots. It's a very difficult thing to count on. It's a bad business strategy to hope that's going to happen. Matter of fact, it's a lot of work with the downside being that it won't work. My opinion is, yeah, okay, sure. Give it a shot. But why not? why reduce the risk and just have someone whose job it is to be in charge of it you have one neck to choke you have one person to report to the board you have one person to report to the ceo you make sure that's a clear understanding of how the organization is run it's a much leaner much easier and smarter streamlined way to do it than hope that these three people people get along what if one of them leaves now you got it's a very fragile kind of situation. So I didn't really you think that-, that yeah. Didn't you get the That's flip it.
2: side to that though, if you've got a CRO and he's driving all of those and you've got like a mid-level manager running sales and marketing, and if that person leaves, don't you have an even larger hole you've got to fill? Or, I'd so, yes,
0: but, but I'd say to, to your point, there's no question about it. So the, the, the question then is, okay, so if this is the right model, you can say the same thing about a CEO, right? Like we have a great CEO if he leaves. I'm I'm saying like, there's always a risk that people are going to leave. But I think there's an easier way for you to maintain the success of a chief revenue officer if it's set up properly. Because here's the thing, right? Chief revenue officers should be well-funded and well remunerated for this job. They should be well-sourced. They should be given what they need. You should be finding people whom are looking for, let's face it, a, a really good CRO in my view should stick around for at least three years, right? I'd say five would yep, be a good yep. number. Okay. So if mm-hmm. if I'm a CRO and I'm good at it and I'm really well supported, if I do three years worth of work, then what'll happen is, and I've seen this before, I'll probably have set up systems that it's much easier for someone else to come in and take those systems over because there's only one dashboard. It's not five dashboards, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. in other words, I've created a replicable system that's nimble enough to introduce another person into it, as opposed to having all these different things going on. So that's one thing. Second thing is let's say I'm around for three years and I decide to leave. Fine. It's going to happen, right? Because if I'm really good at this, then someone's going to come to me and offer me three times as much to go do it somewhere else. That's fine. But what I mean is if, if I did my job, it should be relative. I wouldn't say easy, nothing's easy, but it should be simpler, right? For the CEO and the board to know what's going on and know how the system works. So that it's easier to manage and move it over to somebody else right now the problem i'm seeing in most companies is things are just too complicated you can't do that if one person leaves one of those passwords who knows how to get into that system who updates salesforce who did this who's running our asana program who's running our and that's bad you want to remove those or those multiple touch points across critical parts of your business particularly as you get more and more bigger so that when you have one person in there you're not necessarily supporting just a person you're supporting a culture and a position that can be interpersed by someone else because it's in place already. And the organization has to completely align around that. That's how I look at it.
2: I've, got, I've done all the questions and I will let you do yeah, your I, questions. I, I've, I've,
0: got, no. I've got
2: one more that i continue. Ask your ask last
0: question, Sean. How do you
2: see, Look, I still see chief operations officers floating around all over the place. How do you see an interaction between chief revenue officer and chief operation officers? Do we still need COOs? if a CRO is effectively aligning go-to-market and customer journey and how that is working, what's our CRO doing? Do we need CROs? Yes. Is, is, is the CRO evolution of where the COO function used to be 20 years ago, where you used to have this nebulous, I run operations kind of guy before we really cared about customer journeys and we drove down that path?
0: How do you see the interaction between those two titles? Yeah, great question. So there's two parts of that question. One is A chief operating officer, in my opinion, is a role that doesn't need to be introduced into a company until it has massive complexity, because you're running things like logistics and supply chain and facilities and all sorts of things, even some, you take off some of the stuff from even like HR, the COO takes on things like that, that have nothing to do with revenue. Okay. That's one thing. I think that if someone hires a chief operating officer really early, my inclination, and I'm usually right about this. Is it was someone's friend who wanted a job to work at the company, but didn't have some specific skill, but they were really good at operations and so they gave a chief operations role, and it's fine. But here's the distinction I'd make. And a great way to answer this question is this. Okay. Let's take the same analogy or the same question and apply it to a CRO and a CFO where there's a lot of crossover too, because the CRO is a very numbers driven role. It's responsible for the finances of the revenue operation. Someone would say, why wouldn't the CFO do that? And I'll give you an answer why. Same reason why a CO shouldn't do it either is because I can tell you right now that a good CRO is going to be much better at building compensation plans than a CFO would be, like a thousand times better. And you shouldn't give a CFO the responsibility to build comp plans for a very specialized unit, like a revenue operation. You give it to a CRO. Similarly, operationalizing a revenue program is much different than operationalizing an entire company. It's a specialization. So if I were running a company and I got big enough, I would absolutely want to have both. And I still think that a COO is a very critical part of a business. If you're 100 million or 200 million and you happen to be, again, like I said, in maybe a non-SaaS business where you're buying stuff and you're selling stuff and you're storing stuff and you got inventory and things like that or maybe facilities, you absolutely should have one because the CRO is never going to handle any of that crap. And you need someone to do it. So I'd say that what's happened is as a result of what I'm saying is these roles have just gotten more defined. They're clear of the boundaries and they need to work together better. So that's how I view those two things. So I guess a lot of what Ricky and I do primarily is SaaS driven, right? We're yep. purely
2: software, purely SaaS. And so when I think about a lot of the titles that exist in SaaS have come from bricks and mortar businesses, massive companies, as SaaS evolves, we go to off-prem, on-prem, to off-prem, SaaS. We've absorbed all these titles. And so COO is everywhere in software companies. And if you think about what you just said, like not many of us have massive logistics or facilities, freight, any of that sort of stuff, logistics happening. So for a young software company, I'm building up and I've got my CFO, I've got my CEO and I'm starting to build out my team. Is it a COO I'm looking for or a CRO that I should be looking for? Do I need a
0: COO if I'm not going to have a bunch of those bricks and mortar style? Yeah, good question. So I would say, no doubt, matter of fact, I would say the question should be flipped the other way around. It should be, if I'm a SaaS business, why do I need a COO? My whole business is a revenue operation. That's it. It's all business, really. The heart of that company, of a SaaS company, is the ability to acquire customers, right? And maybe to have them renew. So in my view, I think you shouldn't have a COO at all. You should have a CRO who knows a revenue function. That's a more important role for you your your question is is pertinent in, in the way you phrased it or you just added that additional layer to it is a SaaS business. I don't know if a COO is needed for a company like that. What does and it it's, mean? Maybe if I get huge of your sales force, you probably need yeah. one. Because now you got like multiple offices and all kinds of shit like that. If you're yeah. still like a hundred million or fifty million, no, I think you need a CRO primarily because most of my clients and this is for, for different reasons. Most of my clients are in the software business and it's just like a lot where the language lands today. But the other thing too is, as I'm sure, I mean, we all have a very under me too, right We all suffer from having a myopic way of looking at the world, right? Are, uh, SaaS companies represent like maybe thirty thousand companies of all the companies in the world right now, but we're so important that we always what we think about as ourselves. Most companies that aren't SaS companies. and so they don't run like that. and so all the money flows through this business and we talk about it all the time, but it represents a small percentage of what businesses really are. The fact is that it, you need this thing. Matter of fact, more of the clients I'm getting right now are coming from traditional businesses because they're seeing like, wow, software business, they're really good at knowing how to acquire new customers and all this stuff. We want to adopt some of those philosophies into our business. How can we create a model where we do both? And those are the most interesting situations because in those cases, you probably do need a lot of these different types of positions, but there need to be more definition around them where it becomes confusing. So I would say, yeah, I would say a CRO without question is a more important role in a SaaS company than a CRO CEO. And I'm sorry to any CEOs out there, but I have another thing we can talk about, which is I don't think companies need CMOs either, but we can get into that <laughs> conversation. It's a whole different conversation. Uh, so, so uh, it's taking us for CEOs. Name. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're already not <laughs> done, more. Uh, Yeah, I, I uh, don't, yeah, know, I don't that. think so. I think the CMO is, <laughs> the title CMO is unnecessary. The role yeah. is critical. I'm a, love, I'm a marketer. I have an agency. But I think a CMO, think about it. Think about what I just said. And now you have a company that has both a CMO and a CRO. Now what do you do? You know, now you're forced to be in the situation you suggested before, which is now you have to have those two work together, which again is fine. It may happen, but I see more often it doesn't. Okay. So what ends up happening is you have these two silos and those are the worst, by the way, sales and marketing are the worst. They have more problems than you can ever imagine. And there's very little alignment around the two of them, mainly because there's a lot of confusion around what, for example, what an MQL is. There's no agreement in the organization what that looks like. And so I, I think that. In my view, I think that the optimal hierarchical organizational structure should be CEO, CRO, underneath the CRO, head of sales, head of marketing, head of customer success with a dotted line to a revenue operations leader who reports into the CRO, but also runs across all three streams to build out all the functions and systems and technologies and stack. That's a nice setup that, that builds very clear swim lanes of expertise. It creates a good team uh, structure for the CRO to operate on. It also gives a good roll-up for the CEO to be able to talk to the CEO and the board. It's just a very nicely, clean, organized way to run a revenue operation. And when I see it working that way, it's really worked well. So that's my prescription, right? But most companies I encounter have already screwed up and they already have a customer this and a chief that, and a chief this, and it's, okay, now what do we do? So we have to figure out how to kind of unwork that stuff, which is not easy, honestly. It's a difficult. But anyway.
1: Hey, Warren, a lot of what you just said, I agree with. So I'm just going to go lean back on my experience. Sure. So, when I was a CRO, I ran partnership, I ran cross sale, upsell, account management, and new sales to begin with. Could have easily had take marketing on. But you've got to take into account complexity of a business when it gets to the scale of what we did. So, at about yep. 60, 70 million with a global team. That when you're getting to that scale, you yep. have a large global team. Even if I was ready and I had people underneath, the problem would have occurred because of the pyramid structure you would have had to create create in order to sustain an organization such as that so go back to sean's earlier point it's not even so much about whether the business really even if i did say and i did have these conversations with sean the buy-in from board would have been hell no because you're putting so many eggs in one basket If ricky falls over you're putting a lot of risk on the business Therefore, you need three VP of sales, three VP of marketers, three this, three that, because it's catered for different time zones. So what's been your experience there? Mm. Because I get what you're saying with everything that you said, like in the early stages. But when you've got a large SaaS business, I don't see how that scales.
0: I agree. You make a good point. And this is the other conversation around this whole thing, which is around stages, right? The sort of premise I'm operating under is that companies and i've been using this analogy a lot i'm getting used to talking about it it's fun is that companies are like people in that they have teenage years we are all teenagers all three of us i don't know if any of us have kids Still but have, okay exactly i have kids and they were teenagers they're now in their 20s and the thing that's universal about teenagers is they all make really dumb decisions they have they're smart enough that they're really sharp you could say my kid's really smart but also what an idiot i can't believe you did that stupid thing and they can't see the implications of their actions. They get dumb things like they get tattoos and shit like that. And they're like, what were you thinking about? What's going to look like when you're 60? You're looking like an idiot. And Or they marry a schmuck when they're 20 and they don't know, oh, he was cute. Okay, big deal. There's a lot of very impulsive things that they do, despite the fact that they may be incredibly brilliant and amazingly creative. And they probably are their most creative part of their lives. I know for me, I was an artist when I was a kid. I did the most creative work between the age of 17 and 25. But I was an idiot. I couldn't do anything else. And companies are the same way. So a company that's just starting out. So you have a, a brilliant founder who came up with a great idea. It's incredible, right? Revolutionary, but they run around making very like impulsive decisions, how they run their businesses. You watch what they're doing. You're like, I can't believe they're about to do this. This is insane. And that's the stage at which those companies need a lot of guidance and they need a lot of help to get themselves to the point where they're more at like a 10 or maybe 15 million in revenues where now some of these things need to be implemented. So my prescription would be as soon as possible, when you get to reach a certain level of complexity, which I think is around 15 or 10 or 15 million in revenues, a CRO would be a good person to bring in to create that baseline of re- alignment, revenue alignment, so that you have that baseline culture so that from 15, 20 million to six million, you've established a way in which you're going to work, which is we have an aligned focus on customer outcomes. That's going to make it a lot easier for a company at 60 or 70 million to make that pivot because they've already had the muscle memory of knowing how to run a company that way. The problem is what you're talking about is companies make this decision when they're at 50 or 60 million in revenues. And that's impo- It's hard to do. People won't do it. And there's no way a board would agree to it because they're, believe me, boards are invaluable in that they provide guidance and money, which is obviously the most important thing they provide. And, and God bless them for it. They're managing multiple portfolio businesses, they don't really care about all of them as much as you care about your business, right? They're looking at everything like a spreadsheet. And so the way that they give their guidance is very much predicated on their outcomes, right? We want you to double your, your market cap. We want your, your numbers to go up. We need whatever, for whatever reasons for the returns that we're looking for. And when you're a CEO, and I'm showing this is very well, is when you're a CEO, you have two masters you're serving. One is the customer and one is your board. And who are you going to choose to serve, right? You're going to choose your board because they're financing you. And that's not good for the customer. So it ends up happening. If you're you're
2: smart, you do that. If you're not, you end up exactly.
0: Yeah. But look, this is the problem where this is the devil's devil's wheat cake that we're forced to eat. We take these things. Just talked to a company yesterday. Same thing. Got a whole bunch of money. It was like funny. I used to look at it differently. Maybe five years ago when I saw on LinkedIn, someone said, Hey, we got our A round. We just got $50 million infusion from PE Company X. Everyone's congratulating them. I think, Oh God, you're in trouble now. You're in real trouble now because all this money comes with all sorts of conditions and expectations that you don't even have any idea what you're dealing with. Your company is going to change in ways in a year from now you're going to be really unhappy with. You're going to have to make compromises you never thought you were going to have to make. And you probably didn't think about any of them because you just needed money, right? Because you wanted the company to survive. And all of a sudden, now you're a completely different organization because this board now is managing your outcomes and you're not. So, you know, this is not a small factor. As a matter of fact, it's the investment community that, and I'm not blaming them for anything, it's that, again, like they they're heroes, but their management style, their focus, their priorities, and their agendas are not in line all the time with company outcomes and a CEO and a CRO need to understand how to manage that so that these decisions can be made differently. And Ricky, to your question, you're right. When a company is that big and you haven't done anything like this, how are you gonna say you have no basis with which to fight back with the board? You have to agree with them. But if you've done this stuff beforehand, you have to say, what are we gonna do? We've been running our organization in a very specific way. We just wanna replicate it. So what we wanna do, for example, is we'll have a CRO in Europe. We'll have a CRO in the US. I'll have a CRO and MEA and they'll run their organizations, their business units the same way, right? But they'll be more like broken up into business groups, but they're run the same way because the model works. It just can't scale with one person, right? That's how I would do it. That's how I see companies doing it. Because they have proof that the model worked. They just replicate it across different op- operational units. So I think that's the way I would get out of that yeah. situation. Yeah. Managing 3545A
2: companies yeah. and so they effectively run it by spreadsheet and by consensus. If 90% of our companies do X, then 100% should be doing X because they're worse. But they're not going to go and rebuild something you've already built. So if you're already doing it that way, the chance of the board having to make some new change are probably they do it by stealth just every quarter yeah. mentioning, hey, we'd you know, cool if, if you Sean, did this.
0: Another interesting part of this also is this is fascinating. So check this out. Let's say that the investment firm, the PE firm, is like, and I, I won't pick on them. I'll just use them as an example. It's, it's a good one. Let's say it's a Salesforce investment fund, which they have one, right? Yep. What software do you think they're going to recommend? What, totally strategies, what <laughs> strategies do you think they're going to recommend, right? They're going to recommend uh, the ones uh, that work uh, for uh, them, uh, right? Yeah. But you're not Salesforce. Why? Just because it worked for you, that means now we're going to adopt it because I, these are the things you're dealing with. You're dealing with Legacy systems and preferences that many times have nothing to do with your business at all, but you're forced to have to do them because that's what you pay for, right? And I think yeah. these are the problems. And you have to do your homework a little bit. You got to think about what's coming with this money. Where are their allegiances? And what are their preferences? And what kind of relationships do they have that they're going to push down on me that I have to use whether I think they make sense for me or not? And I think that's a that's not a small thing.
2: It's it's a beautiful segue to. I'm like we started with how important the chief revenue officer is, and you're strong on that. But then you've pivoted back to why the CEO is the most important position in the entire business, because once you raise money, that person's job is to balance keeping a board and PE at bay in the right swim lane where they need to be so that you can continue to build your business in the right direction and that primarily becomes the CEO's job. It's balancing that customer journey, the customer need and how you're building, what you're building with the pressure that comes from raising capital and P and taking the good parts of the advice that they're giving you that will help you scale and also disseminating the bits that are just 16 other companies have done it and it works for them. So you should do it and and that, that is in reality, what a CEO does every day.
0: That's right. And a CEO that's got to do that needs someone mining the store. I need someone running the revenue operation that I can trust that has the leadership skills and the competencies that I know I can go to him and say, Hey, Steve, what's going on? And they can go, bam, this is what's happening. And I've got it. I got it together in a way that I can tell the story and I understand data and I can run the business. And I I think it's a, it, it, it's more and more emerging as, and again, I have this same, same conversation like, like three times a day now. I'm tired of it to be pregnant. No, no offense, I'm just saying it, I'm repeating myself. Yeah. I'm tired of listening to myself talk. Is This is an important thing. And what I'm trying to get across is maybe three major four points. One is defining a CRO, training CROs, having a clear understanding of what a CRO does. And then the fourth one, which we didn't talk about is CRO readiness, which is before a company hires a CRO, they need to be ready for one. And that's not a small thing either. So it doesn't mean like we just recognize that Mm. we need one. That's not enough. Because what happens most of the time is there's a couple of tests that my clients go through. The first one is they think they need a CRO and they they fail the first test, which is they don't know what one does. So they hire one to run sales. That's the first test they, they fail. Second one is they do recognize what a CRO is and then they find the wrong one because they didn't know how to evaluate one properly and that person fails. The third thing they do wrong is they know what a CRO does. They know why they need one they find a good one and they don't know how to onboard a good one and this good one walks away and says this was a shitty situation and he gets blamed for that situation and the reason all these are a problem is because the company wasn't ready for one when i mean that is in order for a chief revenue officer to be brought on properly and succeed the company needs to have certain things in order or else what will happen is when the board and the ceo get white knuckled and all of a sudden, three months into the tenure of this new CRO, they aren't getting the results they want. They have the person go back and run deals because that's the easiest way to solve the problem. And then all of a sudden now Mm -hmm. that CRO is ostensibly demoted into being another running sales and that's the end of it right there. It's over from there. It'll probably last about six months after that, maybe a year. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so how do you stop that from happening? The only way you stop from happening is if you have a really clear understanding of what that CRO is supposed to do and the time it's going to take for that to be effective and you are committed to that happening, no matter what, you'll make it work. And the only way that's gonna happen is if you have the right data and the right information with which to understand the implications of doing it that way. So CRO readiness is getting a clear understanding of the organizational health, right? The revenue health, and this is a deep dive into their data and their connectivity and their operations and their systems and their processes and their ICP, which frankly is usually the most important thing. And when you really get clear on all this stuff, what comes to the surface, and we have a process for this, it's called the CRO Readiness Program, is it surfaces for the CEO a lot of things that the CEO wasn't aware of. Oh my God, I had no idea we were leaking this too much money. I didn't realize we were going after the wrong people. I didn't realize this tech stack was not properly organized. I didn't realize that we we're using the wrong CRM. All these things that they just probably would have just went along and never did anything about. And so once you've identified those things, now... You can take the sum total of those issues and you can say, what's the right profile CRO that would be good to fix these things? And you can bring on a person who's appropriate for that. And then now that's their job. That's a very important job. You're never going to pull that person off that job because the stakes are too high. So now you've created the right infrastructure for a CRO to come in and have the right focus on the right things so that CRO stays in that position and fixes those things, which are critical for the business they have to be discovered first. And that's the CRO readiness part of the equation that usually isn't happening. usually skipped over. And so that's the other part of it. So that's the CEO's job is to take the time to uncover the truth. So the truth can be then utilized as a solution for the future. And a CRO comes in to own that truth and own that future. And that's the way it works. So we do that through a series of analyses and consulting programs that help to uncover these things for companies. Sounds great. I'm in tune with everything you've said, Warren. There's
1: not too much I disagree with. However, one thing I have noticed of late is that what a lot of companies are doing in terms of CRO is they're replacing those who have all those skill sets and bringing in people who are more CS focused. I see that. What's your take on that? Because (laughs) as you touched on very early, customer success or customer journey is something we all inherit. with uh, with, with our own buying process. So why does one need to be a specialist in that in order to be a CRO?
0: Yeah, it's such a great question. It's very true what you're saying. And I think it's a good thing. So here's what the, if I would say almost like a little graph how the CRO evolved was a sales role, right? Maybe a bit of a marketing role, mostly a sales role, but could maybe even be an operational role.
2: But I think
0: my opinion is that the future chief revenue officers, the best ones are going to be ones that come out of revenue operations and customer success. And the reason is because if I come into a CRO role from a sales leadership position, I'm not going to be able to help it. I'm probably going to bias towards sales because that's more uncomfortable. And I don't want that CRO doing that. That would be bad, actually. I want a CRO who's a little bit more strategically focused. And someone who manages customers or manages data is going to be much more strategic in terms of how they think about the whole business. And I'm seeing that the sophistication of the customer success and um revenue operations functions is getting to the point where some brilliant people are coming out of these sectors who have a really great understanding of the business and they'd be really well suited to come in and run a revenue operation because of that without the trappings of falling into a sales role. Plus the other thing too, remember I told you one of the biggest risks of a CRO is having them be pulled into deals when things go bad. If I pull in somebody who has no sales management experience, I'm not going to pull them into deals because they don't know how. So it it almost guarantees that won't happen. So in a way, I think I'm seeing more people. There's a couple of people I spoke to in the last month or two who have, they're really successful chief revenue officers. They never ran a sales organization. They ran revenue organizations or customer success organizations, and I see them being really good for this. I think it's going to take a while for the investment community to gain the muscle around hiring people for that position from most places, but I think it's going to start to make a lot more sense. Because I do believe that if it, it seems no shit, but for some reason it's not adhered to is if we focus on making customers happy only, things should even out in the end, right? Because 65 or so percent of most businesses make their money off of existing customers anyway. So that's where the most revenue comes from. Plus, it's the most profitable revenue because I don't have to spend as much money to get it. No, everyone knows this. So if that's the case, then if this kind of obsession with customer acquisition is replaced with customer growth, finding someone who's really good at that will probably make the business more profitable. But maybe the growth will be slower. But I think that's better. Because I think that'll be a healthier company anyway. You'll have happier customers. So I, I do think that there's a shift happening here. I don't know how it'll, it'll happen, but I'm hopeful. I think it'll be better for everybody. I think it would be better for customers, frankly. I think customers would feel that a lot. They'd be like, wow, look at this, man. I'm suddenly, people give a shit about me. And I think that's not a small thing.
1: Yeah, I agree. Also, I would love to take you through a quick fire around Warren. These are easy. They're, they're sure. not meant to be difficult. So no yeah. no, they might be. with yours, Just better. Yeah, get response. So first one. Favorite sports team?
0: Jets, unfortunately. <laughs> you had to think about it. You had to
2: pause.
1: Yeah. Yes. yeah. I remember. I remember. Uh, we went
0: to a Jets game. game, remember?
2: Yeah,
1: we did. Uh, oh, sad man.
2: state of affairs, man.
1: Yeah. yeah. They, I think they won um, when
2: we went. So there were lots of people around. Oh, they you were there. They they were there. You were at that game. We were actually oh, at the okay. game and they won. Wow. So, yeah, 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 okay, yeah. great. I oh, won no, no. for once. There right. you
0: go, man. What about favorite music genre? What do you listen to? it's yeah, great. I'd say that if I'm, I, I love all music. I'm a real, I'm a, I'm a music freak, frankly. So I'm really bizarre, eclectic taste in music. But if I'm going to play something, I'm probably going to put on something from the late 60s, early to mid 70s. That's my yeah, choice, like, you know, Anything. Shame, man. I don't yeah. care. You put on the radio during that time and I'm liking it. Yeah. Era. What about favorite mm-hmm. movie of all time? That's a tough question for me. I'm a cinephile.
2: I told you that these would be hard. right? Yeah, it's hard easy to pick one
0: because I have so many, but I would be probably shot off the mountain of men if I didn't say The Godfather. That's However, amazing. it's obviously amazing. I'd say the best cinematic experience I've ever had was, oh. I go to the movies a lot. I used to go three times a week, actually, for years. I once had the chance when I was in the 90s, I went and saw a brand new, fully print of Lawrence of Arabia in a huge theater, and it was oh, yeah. its unbelievable. Man. That's Mm -hmm. that really is. They could never ever make make a movie like that. Yeah, Yeah. it it was just so incredible to think about, too. It was Peter O'Toole's first movie. That's insane. It's amazing. If you guys have a big, huge screen at home, probably won't do it justice. If you have a good screen and a good sound system and a really good copy of it, like a good 4K copy of it, I suggest it. It's amazing that they made this movie. It's just awesome. Anyway, it's a true story, too, which is also cool. It's freaking true. (laughs) That that happened. You're watching this (laughs) thing, it's (laughs) real. It's unbelievable. That's about as good we'll as it let,
2: gets. We'll let you have two movies because that was a good story. That's it. Okay. You,
0: otherwise, I usually be like, no, you have to
2: pick one. Okay. Try to really hone in on the one. But that, that's at the crazy. same time, too, here's
0: the thing, right? To keep the answer going is that when The Godfather comes on TV, I always sit down and watch it. I'm like, all right, I'm fucked. I was yeah. going to go out, but now I'm going to watch <laughs> it. Whereas <laughs> if right. Lawrence of Arabia came on, I wouldn't. I'd say, no, no, I'm not going to ruin this. I can't watch yeah. it in the middle. I have yeah. to watch yeah. the whole yeah. thing. So much that's much. there's a bit of a difference. You know, that's, a, that's a valid reason. Um, yeah. What about this one? Then? My favorite place to visit? To visit?
1: Yeah.
0: We have a house in Mexico, and that's my favorite place to visit. It's yeah, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Nice. That's your happy Yeah. Side. On the Riviera uh, Maya on the beach. That yeah, place. Yeah.
1: What about this one, mate? I know you won't let me down on this. Uh, peanut butter. Yeah, how I'm, I'm a huge yours? fan. I'm actually a freak for crunching. peanut butter.
0: A matter of fact, I, I've yeah. taught people how to make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches because there's a specific yeah. way to do it. Peanut butter, there's a Smucker's peanut butter. It's an organic, natural peanut butter. The ingredients are peanuts, salt, okay? Right. And it comes with that like goop on the top of it, so you have to like okay, Sean, he's mix it up.
1: Okay, Sean, he's ordering
2: some. And, already uh, i already ordering like some, to, as you speak. It's so talk. good. So you got to get the
0: chunky yeah, yeah. and the smooth because they're both used for different things. So the chunky I use for a smoothie and the smooth I use to make a sandwich. And I love peanut butter. I probably ate it out of a jar, by the way. I just nice. eat it. Right but, if, it. Yeah, yeah. But, but the important part of this is crunchy or smooth. You
2: can only have one. So As okay. I
0: said. So I guess if I had to pick, I'd say crunchy. You have
2: to pick. Yeah, good. Yeah, 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 good.
1: That yeah. is the I right answer. That's right. He's on the right side.
2: He's
0: never
1: gonna yeah. that. Right yeah. yeah.
2: awesome you like that Iron little almond, dente.
0: You like that little almond? dente. It's not. a small thing. You don't peanut butter if you're not gonna eat a little bit of peanut, isn't it? That's the point. You got little chunks in there. You got to do it. I agree. I'm with you. Like that. Awesome. Uh, I've, I've I ordered order, myself I, I, some
2: from Smucker's Crunchy Peanut Butter. It's so good.
0: The organic one. There's I got an organic chunky peanut butter. It's with that. And I've had, let me tell you something, Sean. I've eaten every freaking peanut butter. I'm a nut for it. I go to Whole Foods, homemade peanut butter. Everyone makes it. That one is the best peanut butter I've ever had, and I get it cool. all the time. So I've got
1: a good one here, man. I'm going to uh, send you pictures. You should order uh, that
0: uh, too. Right. Send it to me. Yeah. I'll try it. But uh, I, I love
2: peanut butter all the time car peanut butter in the jar, the dirty one <laughs> yeah exactly Jif yeah, like or <laughs> skippy that stuff is just the world okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, god i don't know how yeah. people eat that
0: shit it's crazy so i go to someone's uh, house right. like, well, it's that peanut butter and they take out jiff <laughs> i'm like well, uh, so good, where so did i go where tub am tub I? Well, I i got I mean, go like i got like that 50 kilo jar i can put my head in it's, it's, right, right, it's right, the worst oh god it's just horrible more sugar than peanuts it, oh, it's yeah, true. It is. It's all sugar. It's terrible. It's not even good for you. It's not, uh, whereas the stuff I share yeah, with you, Sean, yeah. it's good for you. It's really awesome. It's amazing. You can survive it, on it. it, it, it um, any others? So that's it? That's, that's it. Well, that's, that's, good. That's, that's the whole questions. questions. Yeah. Thank you questions. once again, yeah.
1: Warren. And thank you for uh, coming on and sharing all your insights. Yeah. True it's great it. conversation. really
0: awesome. appreciate it. And thank you. I really enjoyed this so much.